Uh, so, I actually can't see a blasted thing in these glasses, so I'm going to have to put those aside. We're just having a little bit of fun about a, something that's actually very, very serious. And um, I, I do want to encourage you actually to invite people to the following uh, messages leading up to Easter. Um, this, but, so I'll tell you what they're about because the most unfashionable, outdated, uh, disliked belief that we're going to cover is actually what we're going to cover today, and that's the reality of hell. And so that might say, okay, if he's going to preach on hell the next three weeks, I'm not inviting my friends. So next week, uh, I'm going to preach about creation and what Genesis 1 says, and it's very unfashionable today. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about the return of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is physically going to return to earth on a horse coming in the sky. Like, that's what it really says. And then the week after that is Easter Sunday, and we'll be talking about the resurrection. And so that's what's coming up. And so it's really, this is kind of a lighthearted way of then, kind of we laugh, and, and, but then we're going to talk about some very serious and significant things. And the foundation of this comes back to who or what decides what is true. And so there's only four options. If you know of another option, let me know, and I will amend this and change this in the future. But as far as I know, there's only four things that can decide what's true. And one of the, the most popular uh, idea of who decides what is true is me. You get to decide what's true. And you hear this today with, uh, well, this is my truth. Well, you know, that is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard because truth doesn't really care about what you think or what you feel. My truth is that uh, dessert has zero calories. Well, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But it's not exactly how truth works. My truth is that the $2 in my pocket, in my wallet, combined with the other $2 in my wallet, equals a million dollars, right? But that's, that's not how it works either. And so a lot of people quickly, and the problem with this is some people believe you should love your neighbor, and then you might find someone else who believes you should eat your neighbor, and, and so then very quickly we realize, oh, no, 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 we can't let everyone decide what's true. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. You have complete chaos and, and death and destruction and, and uh, anarchy. And so a lot of times people move from here and they say, okay, groups decide what's true. Whatever is true in the culture today is true, but if it's not, you know, it changes. And, but nobody really believes this either. Because most people throughout most of human history thought slavery was okay. And so if the majority thinks slavery is okay, it's okay then, right? That's not how it works either. And, and just, as, just as quickly as we realize that some people have bad moral values that contradict others, some groups have bad moral values that contradict others. And, and so then people say, well, nature determines what's true. And this sounds so wonderful. Sounds like granola bars and fruit and, and just this, the natural world determines what is right and what is wrong. We just look to nature and it sounds good, but nature is tooth and claw and the survival of the fittest and might makes right. In fact, some of the people that, that glorify nature the most have the least contact with it. Have you ever heard someone say, man is the only creature that kills just for sport and fun? Have you ever heard someone say that? That's nonsense. Have you, ever, you know what a fox does in a hen house? He could be completely not hungry at all. He will kill every chicken in that house. You ever watched a cat? 
with baby bunnies, it will torture these cute, innocent little creatures and kill them, and it could be completely full and not eat them at all, right? And so nature, I mean, you have, you have chimpanzees that sometimes eat their own babies, and again, not because they're hungry, you know? And so to go to nature is really not, it sounds great, but that's a bad place to decide what is right and wrong, what is true and what is not true. And so then what we're stuck with is, is God. But here's where a lot of people say, yeah, God determines what's true, but who determines what God says? I do. God determines what's true, but who determines what God says? The church does. Or tradition, which is a group of people in the past. Or, or a book. And, and you, as I look at all four of these options, I don't like any of them. None of them are like, oh, yeah, that's, that's clearly where I want to go. But for other reasons, and we're not going to get into it, I really believe the best answer. You might say, I don't like the Bible being the total authority in my life. Here's the thing. Either the Bible is the total, absolute authority and is completely true in all it says, or it's absolutely worthless. Because if some of it is true and some of it is not true, who determines well, usually I do. So you're God. You get to be God. You get to play God, and you get to decide what in the Bible is God and what isn't because you're God. Or maybe a group gets to decide what's true. Don't try to interpret it on your own. Don't read it. We'll tell you what it says. Eh, that's not good either. And so this whole series is based upon the fact that, that I believe and, and we believe as a church that God through the Bible is the sole authority and, and uh, source of, of absolutely of, of truth in our lives. And so because of that, we have a bunch of things that the Bible has that we might not like, that seem outdated and unfashionable. And this is one of them, and it's, it's hell. And so Jesus tells a story about hell. He says, now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, enjoying himself in splendor every day, and a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores. And um, so this is a parable. And parables are stories that Jesus made up. So you might say, well, you're going to prove hell about, uh, that, that hell is real from a made-up story. That, that doesn't really make sense. But there are other passages about hell. But all of, of Jesus' parables, even though they're made-up stories, they happen in real places. And, and, and in real, surrounded by real events. So when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, it's a man traveling from Jericho, which is a real place, by a, a very lonely road on his way to Jerusalem, which is a real road to a real place. And there were often robbers on that road. That is also true. And there was groups, a group of people called Jews. That's true. And there was a group, group of people culturally called Samaritans. And that was true. And so even though Jesus makes up the story, really the entire setting is a true, real setting. And that's the same here. So this, this rich man might not be a, a real person, Lazarus might not be real, but the setting is, there is a heaven, there is a hell, there is an earth. And, and one of the things people point out to about this particular parable, though, is in no other parable is anyone ever given a name. And so it's always the master and the servant, the woman, the man, the... The, the Samaritan, the Jew, and it's never specifically a name. And in this parable, Jesus gives Lazarus a name. And so some people think it's not a parable at all, that this is actually a real story Jesus 
is telling. And so he says, longing to be fed, Lazarus longs to be fed from the scraps which fell from the rich man's table. Not only that, but the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now, today we have a different view of dogs in America than they did in the ancient world in, in Israel. Dogs were unclean animals. Um, they were gross and disgusting and lower creatures, okay? They weren't pets. People didn't have dogs as pets. Um, so to us, it would be like if this man had rats licking his wounds. We would be like, that's disgusting. And that's how they would react to this story as Jesus is telling it. He, Lazarus had it bad. He was in a bad way. Now it happened that the poor man died and was carried away by angels to Abraham's arms. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, where he, the rich man, was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, Remember in your lifetime, you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you're in agony. Now, what Abraham is not saying is all rich people go to hell, or all poor people go to heaven, because Abraham was an incredibly wealthy individual. So this isn't about karma, and if you get bad stuff, you'll get good stuff. If you get good stuff, you get bad stuff. It's not about rich. It's not about poor. We'll talk about later what it means. How do you get to heaven and all of that? But, but, but what he is saying is that, um, you know, this, this rich man, he, he is going to be suffering for the rest of his life. So there, there's, three, there's three surprises about hell from this passage that I want to point out and, and, and just talk about with you. And, and the first one is the fact that good people go there. So what did, what did the rich man do to deserve hell? Obviously, it's not that he was rich, right? So what he did was really he didn't do anything wrong. It didn't say that he, you know, murdered anyone. It didn't say that he was corrupt and he got his wealth through lying and through, you know, blackmail or anything like that. The, the sin that this talks about, that this rich man did or actually didn't do, he wasn't generous to Lazarus. I always, I don't know why, I picture this. I always picture Lazarus at this rich man's table eating the scraps and, and grabbing them from the dogs. And, but that's not what this says. It says he wishes he was at his table eating crumbs. He wasn't even given that. He wasn't even treated as well as the dogs, which weren't pets, but were, you know, as, as these mangy creatures were. He was at the gate. He wasn't even in, allowed inside the gate. So, so the rich man's sin was not a sin of something he did. It was a sin of something he didn't do. He wasn't generous, and I think every single one of us here, if we would be honest with ourselves and look at our lives and everything we've been given, we would all say that there was a time in our lives where we had blessings and resources that God gave us that we kept for ourselves and didn't give to those in need. And we kept it for our kids and for our family and for me and for what I want, and, and we didn't, weren't generous to others around us, maybe we didn't see them because they're outside the gate. 
outside our, our borders, outside our walls. And, and Romans 3.23 says it this way, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So uh, in God's perspective, no one's good. But I, I put this here because from our perspective, we look at others around us and we say, well, he's a good person, she's a good person compared to other terrible people. We have this very skewed, uh, low moral standard that is nowhere near God's. It's nowhere near accurate and what is true. But, but to us, we would say good people are going to go to hell because we sin not only by our actions but by our inactions. And, and here is the terrible truth that Jesus says about heaven and hell and the population of them. He says that most people, Jesus says this, I don't say this, most people go to hell. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. A, a recent survey I read found that 60, about two-thirds of Americans believe they're going to heaven. Jesus says that's not true. Another one-third of Americans don't even believe in heaven. And only 0.5, one out of every 200 Americans believe they're going to hell. And again, wouldn't it be wonderful if truth was, was influenced by what we believe and by what we think? We could all vote and agree that cancer doesn't exist, but that wouldn't stop it from existing. And so the fact that almost no one thinks they're going to hell and almost no one, actually even most people don't even believe hell exists anymore doesn't take away from the truth that Jesus talks about right here. In fact, it was interesting to me in December of last year, Denzel Washington um, said this in an interview, in heaven there's going to be two lines, the long line and the short line. I'm interested in being in the short one. It's interesting. He's summarizing what Jesus is saying right here. Um, the, the story goes on that Jesus tells in Luke, and he says, and besides all this, Abraham is talking. Between us and you, a great chasm has been set so that those who want to get over from here to you will never be able, nor will any people cross over from there to us. And so the rich man answers, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And it's interesting, I believe the Bible kind of indicates that our moral character is like wet cement. And even in this life, up until the very last moment of your breath, that cement is still a little bit wet and can still move and can still be formed and can still change. But the moment we die, our moral character gets fixed. And, and God will give you all the time in the world that you need to follow him, to love him, to, to ask him to forgive you and, and to give him your life and surrender your life to him. God will give you all the time in the world you need, but the truth is, for most people, all the time in the world is not enough. And, and we see this a little bit even in this rich man's attitude toward Lazarus. So first of all, he says, let Lazarus come into the flames of hell to put just a drop of water on my tongue. Is he, does he care about Lazarus? 
Does he care how much pain and hurt that would cause him just to relieve a little bit of his own? He doesn't care about Lazarus. And now he sees Lazarus as an errand boy. Send him to my family. And there may even be an accusation against God in this. God, you didn't warn me. You know, you, you should have done better in telling me what was at stake. God, this is your fault that I'm in hell. And let me help you out. You need to send Lazarus. And um, here, here's second truth or surprise about hell that this is talking about. Not only do good people go there, but it's horrific. As Abraham said, there is no way out. You cannot pass over to here, and even if we wanted to, we cannot go over to you either. It, it is a fixed, permanent end. Um, what the Bible teaches that either in this life you say to God, have it your way. Or when we die, God says to you, have it your way. See, he's not going to force anyone who doesn't love him, who doesn't want to listen to him, who, who, doesn't, who doesn't think they need him. He's not going to force anyone like that to spend eternity with him. They'd be miserable and they would uh, continue to hurt other people for all eternity. And so what God does is he's made a quarantine called hell for all those who refuse to follow God and who say, my will be done. God says, okay, your will will be done for all of eternity. You can do whatever you want all by yourself so you don't hurt others. And, and it is horrific. It is, it is eternal. I don't know how many of you, we could do a raise of hands here. How many of you could name, you know the names of all eight of your biological great-grandparents? Raise your hand if you could name all eight. I thought you would. All eight of your great-grandparents, you know their names. I'm not raising my hand because I know them. I, 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 I'd have to look it up. Very few people do. And if you do know, and there may be a few online as well that know all eight of their great-grandparents by name, if you do know that, do you know anything else? Here's people. This, this is our family. Personal, your own family, and we don't even know their names a hundred years later. This life is so very, very short. And the next life is so very, very long. And so much more important. And we just have things backwards. And that's why Jesus, I, this is why I believe he talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Because we have things backwards. And we're not thinking straight. We're not thinking clearly. Hell is horrific. It, goes on, and Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to him. He's saying, no, Lazarus isn't going to be raised from the dead. He's not going to go back to your five brothers. They have the Bible. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. If this was not in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. I would say, like this rich man, I would say, you know, if someone came back from the dead, I'm sure that would convince them. But the truth is, Jesus did come back from the dead, and most people, it did not convince them. And I, I, can, I can just see it today, someone coming back from the dead and saying, God is real, and the response would be, you know, I just was reading that every human being on earth has six doppelgangers who look just like them. That guy just looked just like my 
my Uncle Joe. But he, he's dead, so it couldn't have been him. You know, or, or, you know, I had this dream. It wasn't a dream. He really was. Yeah, but it couldn't have been because he's dead. She's dead. You know, and, and, and explaining away. How did you do that trick? It's not funny, you know. I loved that individual. And it's not funny that you would pretend that they would come back from the dead and set up some elaborate scam like that to trick me. I will not be tricked by you. I think it's disgusting. And, and no matter what, Abraham is saying, Jesus is saying in this parable, if they don't, if they don't listen to the Bible, if they don't believe this, they won't believe even if someone comes back from the dead. You see, because we reject truth, not because uh, of, of its availability, but we reject it because we just don't want it to be true. Because then I would be wrong. Because then I would need to change. Because then there are implications. You know, we, we tend to think that, oh, I wish I lived back in the days of the prophets, I mean, or back in the days of the apostles and Jesus, and there's miracles, and there's, there you know, people rising from the dead, and there's, you know, God talking directly, and all oh, that. Uh, they, they had the big guns, and all we're left with is this dusty, stupid old book. Jesus is saying, this is the big guns. This is more powerful than signs and wonders. If they won't listen to this, and this is where we need to, you cannot underestimate the importance of the Bible in your life and in the lives of others you know. The Bible is like water. Water is very common, right? It's everywhere. You could get a Bible. You could, if you don't have a Bible, we have free Bibles at the Welcome Center. Just ask, and they'll give you one. Right? You can download it on your phone and on an app. You know, there's over a billion downloads of the Bible on, on the Bible app. I mean, it's, it's common like water is, but talk to any builder. You cannot stop water. You can only redirect it, but you can't stop it. It is unstoppable. And God's Word is the same way. And we need to embrace it. And we need to, and we need, if this is the only time you, you hear reading from God's word, you're missing out on one of the most powerful, amazing gifts that God has given us. It's more amazing than signs and wonders. More important, more powerful. They won't be convinced even if he rises from the dead. There we go. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. All right. Last point. The Bible is the best witness to keep people from hell. So if hell is real, how should we live? How should we live if, if hell is real? You know, there's no mention of purgatory anywhere in the Bible. I wish there was. In fact, if I could make something up, I would make up purgatory. But again, that's not how truth works, is it? Um, there's only two speeches two types of speeches that the Bible has for people. So there, there's a self-help gurus, they'll often say, you know, and, and this is actually a good exercise. What do you want people, imagine you're dead and you're at your funeral, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? And that is really good advice, to think that through and then live in light of what people will say about you at your funeral. But here's, I got something better. What will God say to you at your funeral? 
that's even more important. And there's only two speeches were given in the Bible, and they're from Matthew 20. These ones are from Matthew 25. But these two types of speeches Jesus talks about when we die, God will give us. One is, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Matthew 25, verse 23. Another speech is a little bit later, Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus gives no other speech. There's no in between. Now, I, I could go to a passage like 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. There's no speech from God there, but it does say that some will be saved as though only one, as one escaping through the flames. So there, there is uh, some that that won't get the well done, but, but will get to heaven. But who wants to go that way? So the stakes could not be higher. Not only for you, and I, I just, don't leave this room if you're not sure whether you've ever surrendered and given your life to God or not. If you're not sure you're going to heaven, don't leave this room. I'm gonna stay, stay in the front afterward and just invite you, come up and talk to me. But beyond that, how many of you know people who don't know Jesus? And you've procrastinated and put off because, oh, it'd be an awkward conversation, and I don't want to mess it up, and I don't know what to say. Saying anything, at least if you don't try at all, you'll definitely fail. At least if you try, there's a chance. December 1st, 1860, in Wales, hundreds of men and boys as young as 12 descended into the Riska Black Vein Mine. The locals called it the death pit. Over the previous 14 years, over 50 men had been killed in accidents there, but no one had been killed in the last two years since they had installed a mechanical ventilation system. One of the most deadly things about mining coal back in the 1860s was the gases. Sometimes in, in breaking up a vein of coal, gases would be released that could instantly ignite and explode or suffocate those who, who are there. And so for two years, there were no accidents until December 1st, 1860. The ventilation wasn't enough. There was an explosion immediately killing 12 men. Their bodies so burned they could not be distinguished when they were unearthed later. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was that 146 other men were trapped in the mine explosion and they all suffocated to death before they could get rescued. It was the worst mining disaster in Great Britain's history and the entire nation was in mourning. What if you had to preach the next Sunday, what would you say? I think if it happened today, I think there'd be a lot of preachers that get up and they'd rail against the government. We need better government oversight. We need better regulations. And they did. They did. Others would maybe, maybe preach against and be angry at the, those uh, businessmen and capitalists that would have unsafe conditions like this in the world. And, and that would also be, you know, there would be some truth to that as well that needs to be addressed. 
but uh, the largest church in the country was in London, then thousands of people would come to hear a 25-year-old kid by the name of Charles Spurgeon preach. And the sermon that Sunday was called The Wailing of Risca. And here's what he said. He said, what if you were one of the dads of those 12-year-old boys, some of them were as young as 12, who died? What if you were a dad of one of those 12-year-old boys and you had been meaning to talk to him about how he could know for sure he would go to heaven, how he could have a relationship with God, how he could be forgiven, and you'd been meaning to do that, but you never got around to it. And he went down into the mine. What if you were a wife of one of those men and you had wanted to talk to your husband, but it was going to be an awkward conversation, and he might, he might have rejected you in it and, and your, your, your invitation to him to accept Jesus as his Savior and Lord, so you never got around to it, and he went down into the mine. Here's how he concluded his sermon. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Jesus did everything he could possibly do to keep everyone out of hell. He was beaten. He was whipped. He went to the cross. He gave his life. What will you give to keep people out of hell? What will you do? You willing to be unpopular? You willing to be seen as unfashionable and outdated? There was a bunch of leaders, adults from Bridgewater that were here yesterday with almost 74th and 5th graders. They gave up a, a good portion of their Saturday, preparing ahead of time, being with the kids, cleaning up after. Why did they do that? Because they like kids? Well, that's part of the reason, but that's it's not the whole reason. That's not the biggest part of the reason. They did that because they thought, man, I would give up every Saturday if it could change the eternity of these kids because we love them. Don't even know all their names, but we love them. There are people in the band. Nick had mentioned earlier, we need male vocalists, electric, acoustic guitar, people willing to be in the back operating the sound and all of that. They were here at 7 o'clock this morning. They'll be here till noon. They come Thursday night to practice as well. Do they do that because they like being up front? No. Actually, some of them don't like being up front. <laughs> And if that was the reason, we wouldn't let them do it. But they thought, you know what? If this could help one person go from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven, it's worth getting up at five in the morning and being here and practicing and putting that time and maybe, and maybe messing up in front of people and looking a little dumb. Although I didn't notice any of that, but... What are you willing to do for eternity? This life is so short. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you love the people we know more than the total of all our loves combined. 
And God, I just pray that you do in their lives whatever it takes financially, emotionally, physically to bring them to you. And Lord, do, do whatever it takes in my life, in our lives, to bring people to you as well. God, if cancer in my body would bring more people to Christ, give me cancer. If being paralyzed from the waist down would keep more people out of hell, paralyze me from the waist down. God, use us. Bring other believers into the lives of those we know who don't know you. Gang up on them. Give us words to speak. Help us to know when to shut up. Help us to work with you to snatch them from the eternal fires of hell. Help us to love our enemies even into heaven. And God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, I just, just ask that you would help them to pray this prayer with me right now to you. God, I am a sinner and I've done things wrong and I can't be good enough. And so I just ask that Jesus would pay for my sins, that, that you would punish him 2,000 years ago instead of punishing me. And God, out of gratitude for, for what Jesus did for me, I give you my life. I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to trust you. I want to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.